Good morning, church. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and and uh, live stream or tuning to our live stream as we will conduct our next portion of our service, which is expositing from the Word of God. And I'm excited to uh, approach the Word of God with you. As you know, we have been studying through the book of Matthew, and today is no different, um, even though we're live streaming, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun as we're going to investigate what Jesus is, what Jesus has to teach us in this passage. So if you will turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, and uh, it's actually pretty relevant to what we're going through in our time, in our life today. Matthew, chapter 6, and we're in the Lord's Prayer, or the Disciples' Prayer, some would, some would term it, and, um, <clears throat> and we're going to read from verse 9 through verse 15. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9. It says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others in their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's found in the word of prayer. Our Father, we're, we're coming to you now through, <laughs> through live stream and, and, and a few folks here and sitting here in our church just um, bare skeleton, um, just reading your word and investigating your word and studying your word. And we know, Father, that no matter where we're at, your word has much to speak to us. Your word has much to teach us. And, and through your word, we're transformed, Lord, by, by the Spirit of God that works really in all medium, Lord, throughout the world. And I pray for all the churches this morning that as they're also live streaming or pre-recorded their service that you would work in their sermons and their services to cause people to become more like Christ and to turn to you as well for the gospel to be shared. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. I pray, Father, that as we're studying this passage now, even on the topic of forgiveness, which is pretty relevant to what we're going through today, that you would teach us much and that you would grow us and lead us to be more like Jesus through this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Asking for forgiveness is one of the hardest things that you and I would have to do in life. I reflect on asking for forgiveness this week in my life and this whole COVID-19 situation that's going around and interrupting everyone's schedule. This week, my kids are staying home, as many of your kids are, and they're jumping around up and down in the house and obviously have nothing else to do, bringing a lot of stress to our family. My wife all of a sudden became a homeschool mom, and I'm dealing with uncertainties at work, uncertainties here in the ministry, adjusting to different ways of doing ministry, different discipleship structures, and streaming, live streaming, and I was behind in my sermon prep. I was feeling pressure from not being able to prepare my sermon and being late on my sermon prep and fearing that I wasn't able to finish. And just this week, I remember I was preparing for my sermon in my bedroom. My wife came in. She interrupted me with a question about COVID-19 and what she read on the news, and all of a sudden, I became anxious because of all the situation. I snapped at her. I became mad at her. And she became upset at me. It took a while for me to realize that I have sinned. That I need to confess to her and ask her for 
forgiveness. And that part of me really didn't want to do it because I just didn't want to admit that I was at fault. Part of me felt that I have gone through a lot, I'm going through a lot in my life and a lot of stress. Part of me felt that she shouldn't have interrupted me, she should have known that I was going through stress. However, the reality is that our relationship can only be restored if we had, or if I had to ask her for forgiveness. It took guts for me. And if you ever experienced this situation in your own life, to ask for forgiveness because asking for forgiveness is dangerous. Asking for forgiveness places us in a vulnerable situation. Asking for forgiveness says that we're not in control of our lives. Asking for forgiveness in how we ask, oftentimes we don't know how the other person is going to respond. If they're going to chew us out even more if we ask for forgiveness, admitting our fault. Asking for forgiveness means that we have to acknowledge that we truly aren't all that great. Asking for forgiveness is difficult. However, asking for forgiveness is the only way that we can have a restored relationship, only way we can have a genuine relationship with other people. The reality is that we all sin in our lives. We all sin. We sin against others. And in order for us to have genuine relationship with other people, we must ask them for forgiveness because sin stands in the way. This reality also is how our relationship with God is as well. We sin against God all the time. We sin against God with having bitter heart attitudes, heart attitudes of jealousy, hatred, and pride that are cursing our hearts. We sin against God externally. When we complain and grumble against God, perhaps in this situation where our life just isn't going according to our plan, we sin against Him exceedingly even though he created us, even though he deserves better from us. And God, who is holy and who is just, and because he deserves our love, deserves our holiness in our living, and since we did not live in that way, he has the right to judge us for our sins. And because we're all sinners in his sight, we certainly should be judged and punished for our sins against him. Unless, unless we come to him and ask him for forgiveness. The reality is that God forgives those who would ask him for forgiveness. He is a gracious God. He loves us. But in his forgiveness, we must also recognize that he is a just God. He is the perfect God. So therefore, the way God did this is by sending his son Jesus Christ to earth to die on the cross for our sins. He paid for the penalty of our sins on our behalf, and he gave his perfect righteousness to us. He made us pure and holy before God through Jesus Christ and in this salvation, as the author of the salvation, he made the way possible for anyone who would come to him and ask him for forgiveness. Anyone who will come to God and ask him for forgiveness are made pure before God and thereby receive salvation. Therefore, Jesus Christ here, this passage which we just read in Matthew chapter 6 verse 12, and also verse 14 through 15 is going to show us the truth that our God is a forgiving God. Our God is a forgiving God. You see, many times we live in this world not realizing that. We have an unforgiving spirit toward those who sin against us, sin against us, not knowing that we ourselves should be forgiven, that we can be forgiven by God, while at the same time we live in bitterness, not forgiving others, 
living in isolation, living in pain. However, today as we read this passage, we're going to find out that forgiveness is an option. We can come to God asking Him for forgiveness. And after receiving His forgiveness, we can experience God's joy, God's peace in our lives that's going to result in us forgiving others who have sinned against us. In this passage, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, and verse 14 through 15, we're going to see this truth that our God is a forgiving God. And given that our God is a forgiving God, the first point we're going to see is this. Jesus here in this prayer is calling us to ask God for forgiveness for our sins. Jesus is calling us to ask God for forgiveness for our sins. Let's read here in verse 12. Verse 12, and part of the Lord's Prayer Actually, let's read the whole Lord's Prayer together, starting in verse 9. It says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And today we're focusing on verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So in the overall context of this passage, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And as he's teaching us how to pray, he's teaching us to ask God for forgiveness when we pray. In the greater context of this passage, Jesus actually is in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the story here, Jesus in this setting of his ministry is teaching or presenting himself to be the Savior of the world. He's preaching to a crowd of people that if they believe unto him, they shall be saved from their sins. Many people who hear Jesus don't understand why they need to follow this direction. They thought that they were already righteous. They followed the directions of the Pharisees or the teaching of the Pharisees saying that they can be righteous by their own works. The Jews at this time have already invented all kinds of do's and don'ts, external righteousness, which they just do these things, they thought, like murdering, not, not murdering, that is not, not murdering, not committing adultery. They should be righteous before God. If they just do these external acts, moral acts, they should be accepted before God. It's kind of like what we Christians practice today. If we're just good Christians, we think we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't use drugs, we don't hang out with those who do, then certainly we should be accepted before God. We're pretty good. Just do the externals. Jesus came in and said, No, no. Your standards are too low. If you think that you only need to follow the external rituals, external traditions, external standards then your standards are way too low. God actually looks at your heart. Your heart needs to be perfectly sinless before God in order for you to be accepted before God. Here's a true standard, and Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount explains the true standard. If you ever become angry, you have sinned, you deserve God's judgment. If you ever lusted with your eyes, you have sinned, you deserve God's judgment. If you ever spoke untruthfully, that is, if you ever told even the smallest lie, even the white lie, you have sinned, and therefore you deserve of God's judgment. Every human being sinned. You and I, we all sin in the heart. So therefore, every human being is judged to be guilty 
in God's eyes. Revealing, revealing that people are sinners, that they are sinners, is a gift that Jesus is bringing to the world. It is. It's a gift. The reason why it is a gift is because Jesus came for one reason and one reason alone, to establish relationship with sinners. He came to establish relationship with sinners. God made this clear in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when he spoke to Joseph and Mary, saying, She, she being Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. He came for the reason of saving people from their sins. This is a relationship that Jesus chooses or decides to establish with us. It's found on the fact that we're sinners before God and he came to save sinners. So anyone who chooses or anyone who wants to have a relationship with Jesus must must come to God on those terms. They must first recognize they're sinners and they must then ask him, for forgiveness. Given that this relationship with God must be established on those terms, Jesus then began the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, which we have studied through in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, saying, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is kingdom heaven. They must recognize that they're poor in spirit, that they have nothing to offer before God. They're sinners. Then after recognizing that they're sinners, then they must mourn over their, their sins. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. They must mourn. They must be sorrowful over their sins. As they're sorrowful, then they're going to come to God, asking God for forgiveness, and then God is going to forgive them. They shall be comforted, and they shall belong to the kingdom of heaven. This is how Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. He's instructing them how to apply this in their prayers here in verse 12. It's fitting that we should approach God and ask God for forgiveness for our sins. So verse 12 says, forgive us of our debts. So we ask the question, what is a debt then? Well, a debt is a sin. Debt, being debt to God, is sinning against God. God created us. Certainly he set up laws for us to obey. And any time and every time that we fail to deliver to God, to live according to the law, which he has set for us, if we fail to do so, we owe God. We owe God. The word debt here, Jesus used, carries the meaning of what is legally owed. We legally owe a debt before God anytime we sin against God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 14 made us clear. You can turn to it if you like. But Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to verse 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling out the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. God, forgive us in Christ. When Jesus Christ came to earth and paid for the debt of our sins, he is literally paying for our sins. He's paying for the penalty of our sins. And given that the penalty is owed to God and God himself actually paid the penalty himself, we can say that he indeed is the author of our forgiveness. He forgave us. He paid it himself. 
Jesus Christ paid for the perfect justice of God, which we deserve to pay the penalty for. Therefore, as we are taught here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, to embrace God's forgiveness, and given that this is also not just a prayer, prayed at one time. You see, we studied through last week. This prayer is prayed regularly. Verse 11 says this, Give us today our daily bread. If you ask God for daily bread, chances are you're praying this daily, right? You're praying this daily. Same with, with this prayer. You're asking for forgiveness daily, regularly in your life, whenever you have sinned before God. The truth is this. All of us as believers are going to sin at one point in our life. Perhaps you and I sinned three or four times today already. We all have sin nature in us. We continue to sin, specific sins. Apostle, Paul, Apostle John wrote this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. He made this clear. A believer is still going to see sins in their lives. It says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. His word is not in us. We're going to sin at some point in our lives. A true believer, however, is going to inspect his own life. He's going to reflect on his own life. He's going to examine his own life, his own actions, his own words, his own heart constantly to see if he has sinned. Now, he already knows he's forgiven. See, at the moment of the cross, the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we are already forgiven of our sins in the past, sins in the present, sins in the future, sins forever. Any sin that we accomplish, however, as a relationship we have with God, we desire for that continual cleansing of specific sins which we do in our lives. And when we see specific sins which we do in our lives, we are going to come to God, we desire to come to God and bring these specific sins before God and ask God for forgiveness. That is our relationship with God. As 1 John chapter 1, verse 8-10 through 10 says, we're going to come to God and we're going to continue to ask God for forgiveness. And it's also taught here in this passage. This is our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit actually works in us in this relationship with God as we ask God for forgiveness to grow us and to cause us to live in more of a holy life, in more purity before God for Him. This self-examination is important. It's a characteristic of all believers in Christ, asking for forgiveness for every specific sins as it comes to mind. We must do so, even for the smallest sins that we know we have committed, because we do not ask for sins or ask for forgiveness for our sins, we certainly run in the chance of letting that sin grow and grow and grow in our lives. I think of a situation with King David in the Old Testament. King David lacked self-examination, self-reflection at one point in his life, and his self or lack of self-examination allowed him to grow in sins into bigger and bigger ones. The story here in 1 Samuel chapter 11 with King David and sword Bathsheba. First, what happened was, was that his generals were protecting the border. They were out in the battlefield. They were out fighting. But what did David do? We saw this in 1 Samuel chapter 11 verse 2. He stayed home. 
He stayed home. He slept until the afternoon. He was lazy. He was lazy in his life. He let his guard down, but did not repent. If he had asked God for forgiveness for his laziness, certainly his sins would stop there. But he did not. Instead, he took a stroll on the rooftop of his house. As he took a stroll on the rooftop of his house, he saw what? He saw a woman bathing. He looked and looked lustfully. He had repented of his sins. If he asked God for forgiveness at that point, and certainly his sins would have stopped there. But he didn't. did not stop there. He brought this woman into the palace and there he slept with her. Now, if I asked God for forgiveness then, his sins would have stopped there. But he did not. He went on and killed the woman's husband so that he may have her legally as his wife. His sins, his sins grow greater and greater and greater because he chose not to ask God for forgiveness while the sin was still small. In the same way, our sins can also become bigger and bigger if we do not come to God and ask God for forgiveness for our sins. We dull that conscience. We ignore that conscience, that sensitive conscience. The day will come that our sins will grow and grow until it finally becomes uncontrollable in our lives. See, we should come to God when our sins are so small, when we first see it in our eyes, see it in our hearts, when we first sense it, because God is willing to forgive us the moment that we ask God for forgiveness. Jesus already came. He already died on the cross for our sins. He already made a way. We can experience grace. We can experience benefits, spiritual benefits in the Lord. If we only just come to God and embrace this path which He has set before us. If we just humble ourselves and come to Him, we will experience God's grace and God's mercy and God's favor. And the Holy Spirit actually works in our hearts at the moment to bring us to worship. So I mean, rest in Him, knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that we're right with the Lord. You see, we know that our God is a forgiving God. Our God is a forgiving God. We should never, ever be afraid. We should never, ever hesitate to come to God and ask Him for forgiveness. We should always come to Him, asking Him for forgiveness all the time for little things, sins, little things that we see in our lives if we have sinned against Him. To continue to have a pure heart before the Lord, to have that sense of the conscience before God. We know that as we do so, the Holy Spirit is actually working in us at the same time to grow us, to form us, to transform us into His image. This is essential for our growth in the Lord that we would approach Him to ask Him for forgiveness constantly in our lives. Now, admitting that we're sinners before God and asking God also for forgiveness in self-reflection, we're going to also know that other people have sinned against us. We're sinned against as well. Sin goes vertically, sin goes horizontally, sin goes everywhere. And certainly that's what Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. What do we do in response to other people's sins against us? We must also forgive them as Christ forgave us. This is our second point. First, we saw that a true believer in Christ is going to ask God for forgiveness. Because he's going to know that God is a forgiving God. He's going to embrace God for the forgiveness that God offers. Second point is this. A true believer is going to reflect on the forgiveness of God and then forgive others 
we have sinned against him. A true believer is going to forgive others that have sinned against him. Let's see here in verse 12. We're going to skip here to also verse 14 through 15. Verse 12. And also forgives us our debt as we have forgiven our debtors. And skip down to verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus' words. As God calls us to ask Him for forgiveness, to know that we've been forgiven through Jesus, we're calling this prayer as well to forgive others as a reflection of the fact that we have been forgiven by God. Now sin, the definition of sin is breaking God's law. In breaking God's law, you certainly sin against God. But in breaking God's law, you can also sin against others. Sin carries two dimensions, as we just talked about, as you might know already. It carries a vertical dimension. You can sin against God, or you can sin against others as well. That's a horizontal dimension. This is clearly taught in the Ten Commandments, where the first four commandments define our relationship with God. And the sixth, or the last six commandments, define our relationship with others. The first four commandments says this, You shall have no other gods before me. The sex, uh, that's the first one. The second one says this, You shall have no graven image before me, or you should not make note yourself a graven image of God. The third commandment says you should not use God's name in vain. The fourth commandment says obey the Sabbath. In the book of Hebrews, we know that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. We are commanded to believe and rest in Him. So breaking any of the four commandments in the Ten Commandments, the first four, is a violation against God. It's a sin against God. Commandments 5 through 10, however, define our relationship with others. So the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and your mother. The sixth commandment says, Thou shalt not murder. The seventh commandment says, You shall not commit adultery. The eighth commandment says, You shall not steal. The ninth commandment says, You shall not bear false witness against others. The tenth commandment says you should not covet or lustfully desire what belongs to another person, whether it be his wife or his possessions. Breaking any of the commandments in the second section, the five through ten, is a sin against others. But ultimately, it's a sin against God as well. Now, each one of us probably felt at some point in our lives, what does it mean, what it meant to be sinned against? Right? You have been sinned against, have you not? You have. I have. As a parent, I'm sinned against all the time in the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment says this, honor your father and your mother. As a parent, I felt my kids were rude to me all the time. My child disobeys me all the time. They're violating the commandment of disobeying their father and their mother. As a spouse, going through hard times, your spouse cheats on you and commits adultery, you would greatly hurt you. If someone lied about you, that is, Vowing the ninth commandment and bore a false witness about you and made it look like you did something that you did not do, that would hurt you as well. It's a sin against you. It hurts to be sinned against. These hurtful experiences lead us to really be holding grudges, do we not? You felt it. I felt it in my own heart this week. Holding grudges against others, having an unforgiving spirit toward others that have sinned against us. 
However, as we saw previously, we all sin against God, have we not? We all worship other gods at some point in our lives, that is, other gods in our country, in our nation, in our culture, such as time, career, possessions. Even though God alone deserves our worship, we all refuse to believe in God at some point in our lives. But Jesus loved us. Even though our sins displeased God, grieved God, hurt God, God in His love, His compassion for us, forgave us. He loved us. In the same way, we're called to reflect in our own lives whether we're forgiving others as how God forgave us. This is a self-reflection that Jesus is teaching us here in this passage. And the reality is that it is difficult for us to forgive, right? It's hard to forgive. It's very, very difficult to forgive. I don't want to forgive. If I don't pray, I probably will not forgive. That's the reality. If I don't pray, I probably won't forgive. I just live my day just holding that grudge. I'll be doing my own thing. I'll be working. In my heart, i just be thinking, this person, that person, I just don't like that. I'd probably just be thinking that all day long unless I pray. That's what Jesus says here in this passage. Pray this way. Pray this way. Because in prayer, when you ask God, when you say, reflect on the fact that God has forgiven you of your sins, and you're thinking, I should then forgive others of their sins against me. And then you begin to have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually begins to work in your heart in this process of prayer to cause you to want to forgive, to give you the determination to forgive, to give you the motivation to forgive, because now you're reflecting on how much you've been forgiven. In fact, in fact a true believer is always going to pray in such a way and always going to forgive according to what Jesus says here in this passage. This is said here in verse 14 to 15 as a characteristic of a believer in Christ. Verse 14 of chapter 6 of Matthew, it says this, A true believer is in carry this characteristic. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. This is clear. Unless you forgive, you're not forgiven. It's incredible. This is incredible. This is a characteristic of a believer. Because if you're not forgiven, you're not a true believer in Christ. But how do you forgive? You forgive after having reflected on how much you've been forgiven. So a true believer it's going to forgive. Unless you forgive, you're demonstrating that you're not a true believer at all. You're demonstrating the fact that you're not saved at all. You're demonstrating the fact that God is also not going to forgive your trespasses. Perfect story. A perfect example is what Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35 about the unforgiving servant. The unforgiving servant. If you haven't read the story, let me tell you what the story is about. The story is about a parable. It's a parable about a master who decided that the day has come for him to settle accounts with his servants. His servants owe him money. The master said, "Hey, time has come for you to pay back the money which you owe. Pay back." One servant owed the master a lot of money, a lot, like ten thousand talents. Now that's a couple of million dollars in our day. Ten thousand talents. The master said, "Time to pay up." Servant says, I can't pay it. I know I don't have a couple million dollars. None of you have a couple. I don't have a couple million. It, it's, it's a lot of money. 
The master says, hey, the law is the law. You got to pay me. If you can't pay me, I'll recuperate my losses. I'm going to sell you, your family, to another master, and I'll recuperate my losses in this way. The servant heard this. He begged the master, saying, please, please, please don't do that. Please don't sell me. I will pay it back. I will pay it back. Just give me a chance. Have some mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Give me some time. The master saw this and all the compassion for his servant. He forgave him everything. Forgave him everything he owed. But the servant went out. The servant went out and found another fellow servant that owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is our, in our day about $37. $37 compared to a couple millions that this other servant owed the master. But he took the other servant and said, pay up. The other servant didn't have the money. He said, I, I'm, I, I just can't pay that right now. So would you give me some time? Have mercy on me. I promise I'll pay you back. This unforgiving servant said, no, I would not have any mercy on you. Pay up now. If you don't, I'll throw him to prison. And eventually he did. He threw this other servant in prison. And by throwing him in prison, it's signifying the fact that while in prison, you cannot work. So if you're in prison, you, are never, you will never ever be able to pay back whatever you owe. This is signifying an unforgiving spirit, a grudge that you're holding against another person, saying, no matter what you do, you cannot make it up to me. I will always hold it against you. That's the unforgiving servant's decision. He's, he has unforgiving spirit. Now when the king heard what had happened, he took the unforgiving servant aside and said to him, I forgive you of 10,000 talents. I forgive you of so much money. How can you not forgive your fellow servant of 100 denarius? So much less. With that judgment, he then ordered this unforgiving servant to be thrown to jail until he should pay the last penny. Again, when you're thrown to jail, you cannot work. This signifies that God is going to throw any one of us who chooses not to forgive, who chooses to hold a grudge against another person into this place called eternal hell where we will suffer for eternity and we will never ever able to pay back. You see, that is the calling. We're called to forgive. But you know, and I know, it's difficult to forgive. It's difficult to forgive, especially when we have been sinned deeply against. It's hard to forgive. I want to tell the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom, her life displayed this. Corrie Ten Boom was born in Germany as the daughter of a watchmaker. In the love for Christ, she and her family hit the Jews during the Nazi persecution. Nazis were rounding up the Jews and killing them, sending them to the gas chambers in a concentration camp. In her work, it was estimated about 800 Jews were saved through her and family just hiding them in their house. Finally, she was caught by the Nazis. Her sister and, and herself were, were caught and were sent to the concentration camp. 1944, a year before World War II ended, her sister died in sickness in the concentration camp. By a miraculous reason, reason Corrie Ten Boom was released from that camp, concentration camp. She was sent to, well, she fled to the Netherlands. And there she waited after the war was over. When it was, she came back to share the gospel in Germany with a bunch of Germans. 
1947, she came back to a room full of Germans sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, and she said, when we confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And there, as she ended with this message in this room, a German walked up to her. He came up to her, talked to her. He didn't remember her, he didn't recognize her, didn't know her, but she remembered him. She knew him as a guard that her and her sister had to strip naked in front of in that concentration camp. But standing in front of her, he thrust his hand before her and said, a fine message, Fraulein. Fraulein means a, 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 little, or a married woman, a lady. How good is it to know, as you said, our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for all the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear from you, Fraulein, as well. From your lips. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? Corey Temple remembers standing there. The world just came to a still at that moment. How can she forgive him of all the wrongs that he had done, given that her sister had died in that place? She wrote, how can he erase her slow, terrible pain simply by the asking? See, we all face horrible actions conducted against us in our lives, have we not? Sins against us, sins so unimaginable that we would forgive another person simply by the asking? Yet God forgive us in this way, simply by the asking. Forgive us, any one of us, who will come to him and ask him for forgiveness if they genuinely ask. No matter how deeply we have sinned against him. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he said this. He said he desires for none to perish, but all to come to have eternal life. God carries this heart of love toward us, ready to embrace us, ready to have us come to him and ask him for forgiveness, ready to love us and, and have our relationship restored. For this reason, he sent his son Jesus Christ to earth to pave the way, to make the way available, to die on the cross for your sins and my sins so that we would be able to come to him and ask him for forgiveness. He paved the way already because he wants us to be reconciled with him. So therefore, in this way, we also would forgive others who have sinned against us. This means that we're always ready to forgive. We're always going to carry a forgiving spirit toward others who have sinned against us. We will never ever hold any grudges against another person who has sinned against us. But with that said, you must realize that actual reconciliation can only come, that is the actual restoration of the relationship between you and that individual can only come when that individual recognizes that he or she have sinned and actually come and ask you for, for forgiveness after having repented. I say this because it's important that they realize that they have sinned, even though you have already forgiven them before the Lord. For example, for example, if someone killed a member of your family, but he felt absolutely no remorse, okay, 
No remorse and say, I, not, no repentance and say, I would do it again if I had a chance. Even though you, in your forgiving spirit, before the Lord, you don't want to carry any grudges, you've forgiven Him. You say, God, forgive them because they do not know what they do. You've forgiven them in your heart. But you still will not be able to have a reconciled relationship with this person until He comes to you and tells you that He has repented and thereby asking you for forgiveness. That's the reality. You have forgiven them in your heart before the Lord, but he still or she still must repent before the Lord and then ask you for forgiveness. That's their responsibility. Our spirit of forgiveness before them does not relinquish their responsibility to repent and to live a holy life before the Lord. But if they do repent, if they do ask God genuinely, for repentance, and they come to you and say, you know what, I'm really, really sorry. Would you forgive me? You and I must forgive. How many times they keep coming to you? Jesus answered this question in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 22. Peter asked him the same question. How many times should I forgive my brothers who come to me and ask me for forgiveness? Seven times? No. Seventy times seven times right 70 times 7 that means as many times as it takes for you to love your brother for you to walk alongside your brother so that your brother would live in holiness to the Lord you will make sure that your brother knows that he is forgiven by you now forgiving other people does not necessarily mean now I'm just giving some applications does not necessarily mean that you must live as a doormat for other people to walk on as well you forgive you do forgive but if the person continues to sin against you, if the person is genuinely sorry and asks you for forgiveness and repentance before God, chances are this person is struggling with a pattern of sin, a, 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 a pattern that he is trying to overcome or she is trying to overcome. If that's the case, we forgive. We do forgive. But in love, we also set boundaries in relationships. Limitations in relationships, as much as biblically allowed, as much as we have the body of Christ to speak to and ask for advice. How can this relationship be in order for this person to walk in holiness and not having to continue to, not having me be an opportunity for him to continue to be sinning, sinning against? I don't want to be a temptation to him. We could live in such a way with this person so that we're not going to allow pattern of sin to continue to occur in their life. That would not be loving if we do. So I want to give you another example. For example, you rent our house or you're letting, letting someone to live in your house who is a drug addict. And the drug addict is what? Doing drugs in your house, in your room, and you're not in the house all the day and uh, he's doing drugs alone. Do you simply say, and he comes to you and says, I'm really sorry, I'm doing this, but would you forgive me? He says, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, sister, but I can't let you live here anymore. Right? You set the boundary. You set the limitations. Because you love that person. You probably should go to rehab. Right? You say, you can't live here anymore. I'm going to establish my relationship with you. I forgive you, but this is going to call me to establish a relationship with you with limitations and boundaries that's going to cause you, that's going to help you to live in a way of holiness to God. We do forgive. Our spirit is always forgiving. We don't want to hold grudges. Holding grudges in your heart will hurt you. We're willing to forgive. 
but we also are going to let others know that they are responsible in terms of how they live before the Lord, even if we do forgive. Living in such a way is so contrary to the world, is it not? Where people in this world just want to bury things, hold silent grudges. Yet here in the body of Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have genuine relationships. Relationships based on forgiveness. We actually do forgive. We actually do have a relationship with people that's real, that is working. We're first knowing that we're first forgiven by God, and from that forgiveness, we'll forgive each other. And this builds an immense bond of trust in the body of Christ. We'll participate in the lives of one another, being vulnerable with one another, forgiving each other, helping one another grow in Christ, growing holiness. We grow closer together. As a result, our love for one another is continually increasing. So we live in such a way of love and trust for one another. We live in such a way we can simply go to another person, ask them for forgiveness without shame and guilt. Unbelievers are people who are not knowing Jesus Christ. Look at us and they ask, how can we live in such a way? We tell them it's because Jesus who forgave us. If they believe unto him, they will also have this love in their hearts to forgive others. And those who God draws through our testimony, through, our, the gospel, through the gospel, who really want to have this forgiveness in their own life as well, and who want to live with people who live out this forgiveness, they will come and believe unto him. Our forgiveness matters. God showing himself to be a forgiving God in this passage. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 and verse 14 through 15. And given that our God is a forgiving God, we must ask him for forgiveness. And given that our God is a forgiving God, we must also forgive others. A true believer is going to forgive. I finish this with a story of Corrie Ten Boom. As Corrie Ten Boom stood in front of her captor, the guard in a concentration camp, with her hands stretched out, she wrote this in her book, The Hiding Place, saying, It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I had ever to do. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. If we do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus, help me, I pray silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out before me. As I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing of warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bring tears into my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Today, in the same way, if we ask God for forgiveness in our lives, forgiving others for the sins which they have sinned against us, we are also going to experience the same joy, the same peace, the same love of God in our hearts. In forgiveness, God takes away our pain. In forgiveness, God takes us, takes us away from, causes us to be isolated and bitter. In our hearts, 
He gives us love. It's replaced with love. And here in our hearts, as we forgive, we get to experience a slice of heaven right here, right now. And that's just a glimpse of what we will experience all eternity who will forever dwell in the love and the forgiveness of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we know that this is a tough passage even as we are reflecting on how much others have sinned against us and how much grudge that we have held against others throughout the years. Even though we're on live stream, I pray, Father, that if we're really indeed holding grudges against another person, perhaps even in your living room or here in our sanctuary, that we would just raise our hand to the Lord right now like this uh, with open hand and say, God, I just, I just want to just take it from you. I forgive. I forgive whatever it is that the other person has done because you have forgiven me. If you're just watching this, would you just raise your hand if you feel like you haven't forgiven a certain individual that you make this time of prayer as Jesus prayed, teaching you to pray, forgive us our debt as we have forgiven others of the sins which have sinned against us. And just hold out your hand to the Lord right now and let Jesus take it away from you. Let him replace your heart with love. Let him take all the grudges away from your heart and replace it with love. Would you do that? Our Father, look at our hearts. Examine it. Make it pure before you, we pray. Let us live in the fullness of the love of God in our hearts today. And from today on, eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.